0: Turn with me, if you would, tonight to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go back tonight to our series on the home. We've entitled this series, Bless This Home, and we're building lives and families on the Word of God. If we want God to bless our homes, then we need to follow God and what He says and how we operate in our homes. And so tonight, we get to this part in Ephesians 6, verse 4, we're going to be looking at one verse, um, and we're only actually going to look at half of the verse tonight, and we'll do the next, the other half next week, as we talk about this idea of the balance of godly parenting. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of of the Lord. Parenting is an incredible calling, and those who are parents, I think, can relate with some funny things that have been said about parenting over the years. I found these humorous this week, so I'm going to share some of them with you. Perhaps you can laugh along with me. One person said, the quickest way for a parent to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Or a two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. Or when my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. Having one child makes you a parent. Having two kids makes you a referee. The biggest thing I remember is there's just no transition. You hit the ground diapering. Someone said, I'd love to be a Pinterest mom but it turns out I'm more of an Amazon Prime mom. Or you can learn many things from children, how much patience you have, for instance. Or the last one, and I think this one's especially true, parenting was much easier when I was raising my non-existent kid, hypothetically. Right? Do you feel those tonight? Just me. Okay, well, I thought they were humorous. So Um, This is the glamorous life of being a parent. If you've had kids or you you have kids, you're raising kids, you have raised kids, you've been around kids, whatever, um, you understand these sentiments and those statements all too well. At the same time, I think we'd agree as parents there's no replacement for the joys that you feel as a parent. God has given Christian parents the incredible opportunity to raise and train the next generation for him. And as such, he has much to say throughout his word on the topic of And it may come as no surprise, but parenting children is something I am very passionate about as a pastor and as a parent of four of my own children. And so, over the next four messages in this series, I want to look specifically at what the Scriptures teach on parenting. So the first two come from this passage right here, and they are... They're kind of a general, they cover general, general parental responsibilities and we'll look at some general categories about those things and some admonitions in that regard. And then the two messages I'm going to preach after that um, are, are a little more specific in their application um, towards, in Scripture towards the lives of older children and teenagers. Um, and this, this is what I call though the balance of godly parenting. And you may be here tonight and you're in, you, you have young kids, you have older kids, um, you have grown kids, maybe you don't have kids. I, I, this is an important thing for all of us to talk about. One, because God's Word talks about it. And two, if you're part of the body of Christ, you are gonna ha- you should have interaction with people who are in this sphere. Um, my wife and I were talking about that today after church, that even people who don't have kids, we want them to know what the Bible is is telling us about our kids so that we can connect, they can help us because that is what the church is, we're a body of believers together. And, you know, there's that old saying, it takes a village, right? Um, it, it does. It, the church is a community that helps us to build our families on these things. And what we see in this passage is that godly parenting requires submission to the Lord and actively evaluating my parental activities in the light of his word. Um, that's, that's most of our not, not all of our Christian walk is a continual evaluation of what God says compared to how am I living that or how am I not living that. I mean, that's, that's what the Christian walk is. It's not do I feel pretty good about this? It's what does God say about that and how am I doing in regards to that? Um, and, and then, you know, doing something about it. It's, it's one thing to recognize that something is an issue. It's another thing to actually follow through on that issue. And so tonight we'll, we'll begin looking. Uh, there's, there's two major parts of this verse. And the first thing that we see in this verse is what I call the pitfall of provocation in the lives of our kids as parents. So Paul jumps right in and says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And what you see in this passage is the next step of our submission in life, and this is submission of parenting. Wow, that went way ahead. Okay. Um, Now, throughout this passage, going all the way back to chapter 5, if you remember, we looked at at the end of Ephesians 5 and and what Paul said about husbands and wives, but before we did that, we set that up with with what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 or 21, where he's talked about submitting to one another in the fear of God, and how that attitude and that, that action of submission to one another as we submit ourselves to God is what sets up all of these relationships. It's the same in Colossians chapter 3, which we looked at at the beginning of our study, where, where Paul spends 16 verses or more talking about our relationship to God and how important that is, and then out of that grows the familial relationships. And so it is built off of our relationship with God and grows in relationships we have with one another. And as Christians, we're called to submit to one another as we submit to the Lord. Out of that expectation grew the expectation for wives who are called to submit to their husbands and their leadership. And Paul talked about how the husband is the head of the home because God has made it this way. He is expected, the husband is expected to lead and wives are expected to follow his leadership. And then Paul turned from there and addressed husbands and their need to submit to their wives in the primary area of loving their wives. So he we went through that, that, that section about the kind of love that a husband's to have for his wife, and as Christ loved the church. And that love nurtures the husband and wife relationship and results in the spiritual growth of the husband and wife together. Then Paul moved on in Ephesians chapter 6 to Children. And the primary responsibility of children is for them to obey and honor their parents. And the last time we were in this passage, that's what we examined. We examined what that looks like, how obedience is the action, and honoring is the attitude behind that action that carries on through a child's entire life. And now, Paul goes from children into parents. And we have to understand that when God blesses a couple with with a child or with children— He has laid on that couple a new expectation that they are to follow the Lord and how they raise any children that God has given them. And in so doing, the principle of submission is still seen. Children are a gift from the Lord. You know, you guys, your kids can look around at your parents now and say, see, I am a gift from God to you, okay? Okay. God's sovereignty is seen in blessing couples with children as much as seen in anything else. So, when God blesses a couple with a child, He is calling them to the role of parenting. And can we just admit something? Parenting is not an easy calling. You agree with that? Yeah? Okay. I know you had naps this afternoon. You've got to give me a little more, okay? All right. Parenting is not an easy calling, right? Okay. Children require a lot of care and love and supervision and time, and money, and fill in the blank, right? In order to carry this out in a godly way, there is a submission principle that must be true here as well. If you are going to raise your children to follow God, then you must submit to God and submit yourself even to your children in this way, that I'm going to raise you the way God said to raise you. It requires a constant balance and evaluation. One of the scariest things I ever heard in my years of min- that, that I've been doing ministry, youth pastoring and pastoring, is one time I had a discussion with a parent about something that's going on that happened um, with their kid um, in our youth ministry. And this is, the, this is what happened. The, the dad looked, looked at me. He still had kids in the home. He was raising his kids. And he said, you know, I think we do a pretty good job as parents. And he went on to tell me whatever he was going to tell me. And that phrase has never left me. And here's why it's never left me. Because the moment you and I become settled and okay with ourselves is the moment that we fail. I think that, that we ha- need a constant um, reminder in our lives of just how much work, work God has to do on our lives. We need a humility before God. We are not perfect. We do not have it all figured out. We constantly need God's help for whatever it is that's going on in our lives. And I'll tell you, as, a, as parents of four children, we are constantly seeking to do things in a godlier way, and we constantly fail. But we also serve a God of grace who convicts us, who affords us the opportunity to make things right, who calls us to serve him again. And so parents, as we spend this week and a few more looking at specific aspects of parenting, I think we need to open ourselves up to God and his word once again in this area. We have to willingly ask God to show us areas we need to improve on with his help. And then let us commit to making those things right that God shows us in our lives. One of the greatest enemies of your spiritual growth is what we call the status quo. The status quo is everything as it is, right? Nothing changes. That's a huge enemy to your spiritual walk. And it's especially true in parenting. Because here's the thing, if if God convicts you of something in your life, That you've done wrong in regards to your kids if God convicts you about how you raise your kids or how you did this or you didn't do this or the way you spoke to your kids here or didn't there's a lot of humility that has to be involved and a lot of things to go back to your kids and say I was wrong about this and if it has to do with the way you raise your kids you might have to say and we're going to do things differently this is how we're going to do it going forward and sometimes that creates a lot of headache for you it creates a lot of work it creates a lot of thinking through things. And so the the easy way out is, well, well, it's been no big deal. We'll just keep doing things the way we're doing them. But that is the enemy of growing spiritually. Spiritual growth and discipleship of our children, discipleship of our children is a hard thing. It requires a constant balance of being in the Word, of listening to God, of applying God's Word to our lives. So I would just say let us endeavor, endeavor to... To submit ourselves to the Lord and to these precious souls, He has entrusted us to steward. And these things don't stop once your kids reach a certain age. You are always a parent. Some of you are in here, and your parents, your, your parents, don't, your kids don't live with you anymore. But that doesn't mean you're not their parent anymore. You're still their parent. Now your role may look a little different, but you still have an obligation to them. You can still invest in their lives the principles of these things. And furthermore, if you are a grandparent, you can invest in the next generation as your children become parents themselves. And then, as I, as I alluded to earlier, if you're a part of our church, if you're a part of this body of believers, you have other people in this body of believers that you can invest in. One of the greatest joys that I see as a parent is when my kids come to church and they interact with other believers here, especially those who are a little bit further down the road of life than we are. And they gain their perspective on things and they learn from them. Um, Caleb and I went to men's breakfast at the diner on Friday. There's a bunch of guys from our church get together. He loves going to that. and And I love taking him because he gets an opportunity to sit and talk to these guys. I think he sat and talked, Dan's ear off the entire time the other day hopefully he listened a couple times too i don't know but he gets the investment of other people into his life and and you who have done this and gone down the road a little bit i would encourage you if your grandparents look around wrap your arm around one of these parents of young children and say hey i'm here for you how can i pray for you what can i do for you i want to adopt you i want to be a part of your life not, not to say, well, I'm going to point out everything you're doing wrong, but so that you can come alongside of that person and, and, and be there for them. So let's dig into what Paul shows us in this passage. There's a command here against the provocation of our children. Very simply, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Paul has two commands in this whole verse here in this, in this verse. One is negative and the other is positive. And by inspiration, Paul leads here with the negative. He addresses this command to fathers. Now, if you study the Greek text, it is possible that this word refers to not just fathers, but to, to both parents. It's used that way one time in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. But most of the time, it's used, it refers simply, as it is stated, to fathers. And here, I believe, as many others do, that that's the same. Why? Because fathers are the head of the home. And so this admonition is addressed primarily to the fathers. Now, moms, it doesn't mean you're off the hook, right? If a home is functioning as God intended, so Paul's given this whole view of what a home looks like, then, then fathers are, are, husbands are leading, right? And as they lead their home, and wives are submitting to that leadership, there's discipling going on in that home, and Uh, fathers and mothers and then working as a team to parent their children and the children are are obeying and submitting and, and and honoring to honoring their parents but i would say if a home doesn't have a father or maybe a home lacks a godly father the principles that are found here still hold true this is the way god intends it to work Parents and fathers in particular are commanded to not provoke children to wrath. That word provoke here means to rouse someone to anger or to exasperate them. And it carries the idea of doing something over a long period of time that builds up resentment leading to outward hostility. So as parents, we must be careful in how we oversee and raise our children. We don't want to overly and unnecessarily smother our children, restricting them so much they do not learn and grow. That is the first side of, of balance. That's why I say this is the balance of godly parenting, because it's really easy. We, we live, um, as human beings, oftentimes on one side of a pendulum or the other in a lot of things. Um, we, we, we do things this way, um, and God convicts us, so we say, well, that's not right, and so we go all the way over here, right? Right? When really, the answer is in the middle. And the same is, is true for parenting. You know, we, we can we, we might be overly, you know, uh, um, hovering and, and on them. Or the other side is, well, it's just kind of whatever. And, and as long as they make good decisions, then we'll be okay. And, and God says, you know, we need to be here in the middle. So we must be careful not to give into our own sinful human feelings of what we will make a child do. I would say this. You understand that children are born sinners, right? I know some of you have held a and you oh, you know, she's so sweet. Well, just stick around a while, okay? I had a pastor growing up who said, if you don't believe that children have a sin in nature, then pop in the two-year-old nursery and pass out hammers and see what happens. It's not a pretty thing. I imagine. I've never done it, but I imagine. And so a child has a sinful will just like anybody else. And as, as a parent, we we have it is it's part of our duty to to break that sinful will of a child because children left to themselves will live in sin and an open rebellion. This, you know, we talk about free range chickens, okay, this free range parenting, right? It doesn't turn out well. Well, just let them do what they want to do. What they want to do is wrong. What they want to do is sinful. What they want to do is rebel against God. And i just tell you, we've seen this in our own parenting journey so far with three of our children. Because Alyssa is only seven months old. But many of you know Joanna, who's two. And she's really developed a, a spirit and a will of her own in what she wants to do and what she doesn't want to do. And what you find out is that typically as a child approaches, what I found in our family, as a child approaches two years old, they begin to seek to exercise more of their own will. And so things like disobedience, manipulation, purposeful ignoring of instruction, these are all outward manifestations of a child who's exercising their own sinful will. And as a godly parent, I am called to address this behavior and not just that behavior, but the heart that lies behind that behavior. And we're gonna talk about that next week um, a lot more how parenting isn't behavior modification, it's going for the heart of our children. And then we'll spend the next week after that really digging into that topic. Now, at the same time, you know, I, I, I need, I need, I'm working to break this will of this child. to to teach them how to follow Christ. But I have to be careful not to break their spirit of of that child as well. And how do we do that? Well, we have to be careful not to respond to our children in anger. We must address sin, but we must do it with an attitude of godly love. Provoking children to anger happens when a parent undertakes manipulation of their children. We say, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. We, we're supposed to help our children learn how to follow God. We're supposed to help them to, to understand that their will is to be submitted to God's will. And eventually, as they get older, as we keep teaching them the Savior to, to help redeem them from this. But what happens is, if we're not thinking biblically about this, we manipulate our children not to follow God, but to follow us. And you say, well, aren't children supposed to obey their parents? Yes, but ultimately we're pointing them to God. We're not God. And so what, what happens is, is when, a child, when we teach a child to conform to my selfish desires, then I can live the life I desire without my children getting in the way. And that's a wrong focus of parenting. That's not the goal of parenting. That eventually will provoke our children to wrath and to anger. Now, perhaps not at first, but over time, the effects will be devastating. Because what happens when a child is young, and, and we, we've gotten to this pattern of just teaching them to, to, to make our lives convenient, and to, and to make our lives, and, and to give us the freedom to do whatever it is we want to do, well, the, the, the children are very concrete thinkers. They're very black and white. That's why, by the way, I think child theology is the best theology in the world, because you tell them what the Word of God says, and they have a unique way of looking at the Word of God. Well, that's what God says. God says this, this is what it means. We, as we but as we, as we mature, we begin to rationalize, right? Which is helpful in its own right. Um, but in the area of theology, we start to introduce all these things that, like, well, what about this, what about that, what about, what does God say, Right? And as children begin to rationalize, they begin to see through the things that we have done, we've, we've bent the child not to, to follow God, but to fit our own selfish desires and our own sinful thoughts. So what we need to do is give our children healthy building blocks and a relationship with God to help inform their thinking. We need to show our children Jesus, who does not provoke, but lovingly convicts and disciplines in love. Paul said in in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, he, he, he said a very similar thing here. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So the opposite of provoking our children is encouraging their hearts, is training them to follow God. But I want to part tonight the rest of our time on this idea of provoking our children. And, and things that we might do or, or, or partially do in our homes that might bring about these things? What are some things that, that go on in homes that provoke and discourage our children instead of encouraging them in the Lord? So let's spend the rest of our time tonight looking at this idea of um, causes of provocation in our homes. I have six of these. And the first one is this. One way this provocation takes place is a lack of true, godly praise for our children and to our children. Instead, all they hear in our home is nothing but blame and criticism. Now, as parents, if we're honest, okay, if you're honest about your kids, you want your children to make better decisions than you made in life. You agree with that? You want your children to make better decisions than you make. You look back at your life and you think, wow, I could have done things a whole lot differently. It could have made my life a whole lot easier. It could have gone a lot further in life with whatever it was. And so sometimes we then hold our children to an impossible standard. That they will always make the right decision. That they will always do this. That they will never do this. And so, but we have to understand that they too in their life must learn and grow. They, too, must learn to battle sin with the help of God. They, too, need guidance in these things as we receive guidance in them. And so we need to encourage them in what they do right. Sometimes, I get it, that doesn't always seem very justified. You know, maybe one parent says to another, hey, we should encourage, you know, little Johnny because he did something right. Oh, come on, you know that that was... And you have all these reasons why you shouldn't do it, right? Because you know all your kids' flaws and you know what may have really been going on or you know what, but instead sometimes it doesn't mean we withhold encouraging their hearts when they choose what is right. One of the things we do as parents is celebrate right choices, even if it's just that little word a positive affirmation. Now, I'm not arguing that you need to train your children that every time they do something right, they get told they did something right. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about every time you make a right decision. Okay, now I'm waiting for somebody to tell me I made a right decision. But there's still room for us to encourage our kids. It, means they sh- it doesn't mean they should never hear from us when they do right. The, uh, in Proverbs chapter 25, 11, we read a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, they encourage our hearts. So I would I would encourage you to praise your children appropriately but also specifically. So when your when your child makes a right decision, when your child works through something in a godly way, tell them that what they did was right and tell them walk them through the process of how they did that to to get it right hey, you know, when you when you did this to your friend, when you did this to your sibling, and, and, you, and you could have done this, but you chose not to do that, but instead you do this because you wanted to show them love in this way, now you've walked them through the whole process of how they thought through those things or may have thought through that or, or the things that were there, they could have gone and done instead, but they did the right thing. You've You've helped them understand there's a pattern here of what pleases God. God does reward his servants for what they do, that is right. And it shows them that there is a pattern there that's worth repeating in their lives. So, one, we can provoke our children by never showing them this positive reinforcement in their lives. And again, it doesn't mean that, that everything is about positive reinforcement. But you should show your children that doing right is what's celebrating. Second, We can provoke our children through inconsistent discipline in their lives. This is not how God does things. God is very clear about judgment on sin. This morning in Sunday school, we talked a little bit about the book of Leviticus and how when you're reading the Bible in a year, sometimes that's a very discouraging book. But God was very clear to the children of Israel, this is what, when you sin, This is the sacrifice. When you do this sin, you bring this sacrifice. When you do this, you bring this sacrifice. This is the price of this. This is someone, this is a capital offense. If someone does X, Y, Z, this is what's to be carried out. God is very consistent in those things. Sin will meet with God's judgment. Now, does judgment always happen immediately from God? No. But will God judge that sin? Yes. And if we sometimes let sin slide, and other times we come down extremely hard, perhaps even what some would argue is unfairly on our children, then we're sending an inconsistent message to our kids. You are sending not only a message of inconsistency, but you are sending a message of inconvenience to your children. Well, you did something wrong, but it's it's really inconvenient for me to stop and discipline you for that right now, so we're just going to ignore it, and we're going to go on. But when we, or we feel, the other side of it, we feel inconvenienced enough by what you did was wrong, so now we're really going to deal with it, and it's going to be the whole other side of that. That's very frustrating to our children. It leads to an extremely harmful home life, for no one knows, hey, I don't know if this is going to set mom and dad over the edge or not, we're just going to find out. We must consistently deal with sin in appropriate ways. And we'll talk more about that next week and what Paul talks about uh, um, bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Third, we can provoke our children to wrath through favoritism and comparisons. Oh, why can't you be more like fill in the blank? A friend they know, um, someone else in the home, you know, whatever the case. Or, Punishing one child over an offense while another gets a pass on it. Now, assuming that, that that's age appropriate, okay? We, we live in that life constantly of, well, you know, Joanna did this, and she didn't get in trouble for it. Well, Joanna's two, and she's still learning that she's not supposed to do that. But it's when children both have the same level playing field. They understand that was wrong, and they did it. And you punish one child for this, and you don't punish the other child for it. All children, no matter their talents, gifts, personalities, abilities, handicaps, or anything else are a gift from God. And our children, yes, they'll need to be parented with slight differences to reach their different personality traits and to fight their specific sinful tendencies. But we need to make an effort to apply the principles of Scripture consistently to each child. We have four kids, and they're all different. You have one, You maybe you have one, maybe you have two, maybe you have... You know uh, well, they're not here, but some of you have seven, okay, and they're all a little bit different, and um, these 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 differences sometimes do bring out different ways that we teach them the things of God or or get through to them the things of God, but it should be consistent sadly there's another thing that happens i've seen this before sometimes a family has what we call. A problem child. You ever run to a family with and they have one of those? The oh, the problem child. Okay? quit looking at each other. I see that down here, okay. And what happens when 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 a family has what some people would call maybe a problem child, you have a child who maybe they they really are, they're really in rebellion. They're really the parents are really working hard trying to help them in the things of God. Sometimes what happens in those circumstances is that everybody else gets compared to that child, and as long as you're not as bad as that child, you're okay. But that's not the standard. The standard isn't isn't if, if you're as bad as Hubert was. The standard is what does God say? And so we have to be consistent in these things. Sin is sin. Now, in the same area of comparison, there's also no room for favoritism in a home. All children need to feel equally loved by both parents. In the scripture, there is a home where favoritism ran rampant in that home. And that home was, whose home? Okay, see, we got lots. (laughs) I picked Isaac and Rebecca, who then passed it on to their son, Jacob. In the story of, and the reason I picked that is, is mostly because that's what we've been studying on Wednesday nights. But I think I heard somebody say, David, you see that in the life of David as well. Um. Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. And you can see how the story unfolds. How they, how Jacob, how how Rebecca through Jacob deceives Isaac. And then when Jacob eventually gets married and begins to have children, one he has he ends up with four wives. He has a favorite wife out of all of the four. I mean, th- this is like the the playbook for disaster. Okay. And then he ends up with 12 kids, and he loves two of them more than the rest of them. He loves one of them so much, he gives them a coat of many colors. His name was Joseph. And that story is a really fascinating study, right, And how, how Joseph followed the Lord. But it all goes, there's this, there's this whole issue that unfolds because of the favoritism that was shown to these to certain people within the family. It caused extreme heartache, and it caused decades of issues. There's a question that I am asked by my children in my home, and it has a very easy, easy answer. Dads, maybe you can resonate. Maybe you've been asked this before. Sometimes one of my kids asks me, usually it's, it's that one right there, the little, with the little blonde hair Daddy, who is your favorite, or who do you love the most? I have the same answer every time. My answer is always no. Mom, right? I love Mom the most, and then the rest of you are tied for close second. <laughs> But that's not enough to say it. We have to live that out. If you just say it and you never show it, it doesn't mean much. And so not only men do we, are we called to express that love to our wives in front of our kids to show them how much we love our wives, but we also learn, we need to learn how our children express and feel love and connect with each of them individually. How your kids feel love or express that love will be different from one child to the next. And I'll tell you, that takes work and commitment to learn those things and to to show that to them. But that's part of our incredible calling as parents. And then fourth, a fourth way we can provoke our children is through our failure to sacrifice For our children. Now, again, let me introduce to you uh, or or reintroduce us to the topic of of balance within the home. Because a child centered home is not a healthy home. A home is to be centered on God. Everything goes through that. But when we make it very clear to our children that we have given up so much for them, or we continuously remind them that they are an inconvenience to our lives. We do not show them the love of Christ. We will often be called on to sacrifice something in our own lives for the growth and betterment of our children. You and I may have to put some things on hold in our lives to be there for our kids. And if there's something in our lives that that we cannot balance, something that we want to do, and we can't balance it with the calling of parenting that God has, has imparted to our lives, then I'm going to tell you right now, the thing that you really want to do, but you can't balance it with what God has called you to do, then that thing is not worth having in your life. It's only going to pull you away from what God has told you you, you are to do, which is raise your kids for the Lord. Fifth, what is something else? What's the fifth thing that, that, that pays the pathway to provocation? Broken Promises. Hey, when you say you're going to do something with or for your children, you need to do everything in your power to make that happen. And when it doesn't, you need to make it right. Okay, listen, I get it. Sometimes life happens. I'm a pastor. I understand that that there are times I have made promises to my kids. Hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to do that. And then something happens, and we can't do this or do that. So in that moment, when that happens, what are we going to do about it? well, well, they'll figure it out later, or do we make it right? If you men, especially if you're at work and and you got to see a client, you got to see this or that, and you had a meeting set up, but something came up and you couldn't make that meeting. If you're a, if you are a good, if you're a, a going to be a, a good, um, you're going to treat your client right. You're going to do what? You're going to do everything you can to make that up, right? Hey, I'll meet you here, I'll meet you there, I'll, we'll set up another time. What do, you, what do I need to do to make that right? Because we, we fell through on that. We need to treat our kids the same way and more so. And we say, hey, we're going to do this, and we don't get a chance to do it. Okay, we're going to make that up. We're going we're to do something for that. I say it this way, you know, give your kids a rain check when something happens like that and make good on it. Bring, and then, and then in that process, bring, those, bring your kids into the conversation. You discuss with them what happened. Hey, I know that we were going to go and do such and such. I know that we were going to spend time together doing this today. Here's what happened. This happened, this happened. I need to go and, and address this or that. And this is why I need to, to go and take care of that. But this is when we're going to make it right. This is when we're going to get together and we're going we're to do what we promised we would do. When life priorities need to be shifted is an excellent training opportunity for our kids because we're teaching them how they are to balance their lives. And though there are probably certainly more things we can come up with, I want to close this section tonight with a sixth way that we can provoke our children. It's one that's very serious and one that's been talked about a lot in our world today and one that, that we see God's stance on, and that is through verbal or physical abuse of our children. Let me just be very clear, there is absolutely no place for either one of these in the life of a Christian. Physically committing violence against another is a clear violation of God's law. And as I mentioned this morning, the moral law of God is not something that 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 has passed away. We're still expected to keep these things. Rage-filled words or berating of others is the same. It's against what God calls us to do. And if you treat your children in this way, it should be no surprise when they are filled with the same emotions and are provoked against you. The saddest thing is that when we see sin in the life of our kids and it really gets us upset, oftentimes it's a sin we already struggle with. And now we see it in them and it really makes us step back and look at it. This is a serious sin and one that should not be masked by Christianity. There is a line between parenting and abusing our children. And that line comes with knowing the difference between disciplining in love and responding in anger. This takes self-control, walking with the Lord, and honesty with God and others. And we must make a concerted effort to parent our children in a way that does not provoke them to anger. Now, this does not mean that every child who, who exercises rebellion towards their parents or towards God had horrible parents. But it does mean that we need to take the lead in checking our hearts and our motives on these things. And on the other side of the balance, we need to put a premium on the godly training of our children. Next time, next week when we get together, we'll examine the positive command that Paul gives to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Godly parenting requires submission to the Lord and actively evaluating my parental activities in the light of his word. Parenting isn't just a brief responsibility Parenting is a life's calling and it is a journey. One day your children will hopefully no longer live in your home. But you will not cease to be their parent. I'll tell you parenting isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And there is a goal that's set to train our children to walk with the Lord that we may rejoice to see them walking with God one day on their own. And this long term view is what is needed to navigate the at home years of parenting. One person said it this way, I've never forgotten it the days are long and the years are short. Have you ever had long days as a parent? Yeah. Some days are really long, right? But you turn around and the years are gone just like that. What you do, what you say, and how you do it and how you say it will set the tone for the later years with your children. And the path for experiencing an incredible friendship with your children in their adult years is paved through godly parenting. So I invite you tonight to step back and look at the warning given here and and i would invite you to just just evaluate yourself in the light of god's word and if you see something here that you know you struggle with then i i would encourage you you need to make it right with god you need to seek his change in your life and then you need to turn around and make it right with your kids and tell them this that, that, that what god has done in your heart and how you're going to continue forward in a godly way if you look at this passage and the things we talk about tonight, and you see things that you struggled with as a parent, and you say, man, I, I see that now. Let me just tell you, it's never too late to pick up the phone and reach out to your kids. It's never too late to reach out to them and say, hey, this is what God's been doing in my heart. I want to make this right. As with any other calling God gives, there are rewards for those who are faithful in these areas. God's grace is given to those seeking to follow him and raising the next generation. So next time we'll look at what Paul says positively in these things and how, how we are to go about raising our children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. But tonight, let us, let us think on these things. How do we avoid provoking our children to wrath? How do we avoid uh, living in a sinful way and parenting as a matter of convenience, but instead make intentional deposits into the lives for the eternal kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to be here tonight in your house. Thank you for using your word in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity we have to raise the next generation. Thank you for giving us in your word the instruction of how we are to raise our children for you. And Lord, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts tonight that you would convict us of our sin and draw us closer to yourself and give us the courage and the boldness to make things right with you. Give us the courage and the boldness to make things right with our children, with others, and give us a good um, opportunity going forward to continually invest in them. It's your name we pray, amen.